proverb that says, uh, like apples of gold on settings of silver is a kind word spoken in the right circumstance. And I want you to think about that, that we have the opportunity to bless people with words, but it's like apples of gold on a silver setting and just saying, hey man, look at what I've brought for you. And the power of blessing is huge in all of our lives. I wanted to share something I wrote just a few uh, weeks back. I was going to uh, Dallas to see our daughter Rachel, and I had gone down to Noonan and spent the night the night before that. I had an early flight. And with all of the headaches and construction that was happening on Interstate 85, I didn't want to get up at 4.30 in the morning and head down. So I went down to Noonan, spent the evening with mom and dad. And uh, anyway, when I got on the plane that next morning to head to Dallas at about 30,000 feet, I started writing. And I'm like, I I just want to write something to bless my mom and uh, to encourage my mom because what an awesome woman she is. So here's what I wrote. What comes to your mind when you hear the word covenant? Think about it. God made a covenant with Abraham, Noah, and Moses, and even gave the Ten Commandments and established the Old Covenant. Jesus shed his blood and initiated the New Covenant. Marriage is to be a covenant between a man and a woman for life. Covenant, a binding oath, an unbreakable promise, a pledge for life. Covenant is mistreated in our day. People violate their oaths and vows, and covenant seems to be almost foreign if not forgotten. A few weeks back, I spent the night with mom and dad. They entered into a covenant on November 10th, 1961. They've been married for 55 years. They've honored their vows. They've stuck it out. They've weathered the storms. They, it takes two. They, it really takes three. Christ has to be the center. My dad, it's sad to see strength deteriorate. It's hard to watch. A man that represented tenacity and uncanny resolve, he's sidelined. His back is weak. His diabetic issues are crippling. His arm in a sling from falling and breaking his shoulder. Ankle swollen. His legs crawl at a snail's pace. Energy gone. Even his prayers have become feeble. And I've always loved hearing my dad pray. His get up and go has got up and left. And it's sad to see strength deteriorate. It hurts to see your hero fading. I love this man. He shaped my life in so many crucial areas. My mom, a woman of integrity and consistency, a woman who's always taking care of her family, selfless, servant, sincere, salt of the earth, one of the greatest people I've ever met. Mom was the primary caretaker of her parents. As her mom and dad aged, she was there. She was a rock and a source of encouragement until she buried them. She was resilient with her three children, Christy, Adam, and me. We never lacked. We never wanted. She was an anchor in our lives. She was the stabilizer. I watched my mom be super mom when I spent the night with them. Her steadfast love for my dad is unmatched. He can really do nothing. She fed him. She bathed him. She took a washcloth and cleaned his body from head to toe. She took his urinal bottle and emptied it. She changed his clothes. She gave him his meds. She waited on him as if he was a king. My eyes are filled with tears as I think about my mom. Covenant in sickness and in health. Vows matter. An unbreakable promise was made and she meant it. She models Jesus. She's Proverbs 31. 
She modeled what I wanted in a wife. I married Proverbs 31. Thanks, Mom. So covenant, what does it mean and what does it look like in everyday life? If you want to see it, drive down to Noonan, Georgia and stop by Earl and Glenda's house. You'll see a portrait that Michelangelo couldn't paint. A portrait of grace, love, and compassion. A portrait of true covenant. Mom, happy Mother's Day. I love you. And I am who I am today. Because of your investment and strength in my life. Follow that. (laughs) (laughs) Solid advice from a wise man. If you don't know how to get to Earl and Glenda's house in Noonan, just follow the smell of boiling chitlins. (laughs) Um, The, uh, you know, thinking about moms, um, uh, we are blessed both to have amazing mothers in our life, and um, I don't take that for granted at all. We, um, as I think back to growing up and my mom being there, my my dad was a pilot, and so he'd be in town four days and then gone four days for a large chunk of my childhood. And um, you know, my mom is she was this consistent. It was just always kept things going. There wasn't a difference really when dad was there or dad was gone. She kept it rolling. And um, it, it's almost like that that's, consistency is something that we lift up, but it's rarely flashy. Absolutely. And so it doesn't get a lot of like praise and like, dang, you were always there, you know? Because once you're always there, people expect it. But it's, I, I'm 37 now, and um, I've spent uh, the past couple of years sitting in Tim's office reflecting on um, how good my parents were mm-hmm. uh, a lot of time. And um, it's really been amazing that how well they kept things together and, mm-hmm. and how well she, um, she just loved me. And, uh, and I did, uh, many times I disappointed her or caused problems. And now I'll tell you a story of one of those times. <laughs> when I was about 16, um, I and some buddies were driving around late night with nothing to do, which is a perfect combination for, I don't know, badness. And um, so we're going through this neighborhood. We're totally bored because I don't think we have enough money to do anything of quality. So we're just wasting (laughs) gas. So we uh, are driving through this neighborhood and my buddy who's 18, um, we come to this corner a lot. And instead of staying on the road and making the turn, he just drives up into these people's grass, puts his foot all the way down on the brake and all the way down on the gas and destroys their front yard. Right. Um, I'd like to say that I said, no, what are we doing? But I think at the time I was going, yeah. <laughs> um, and we, uh, so we get out and we're driving away and we quickly see that some, like a neighbor is now chasing us in his car, right? This is when all the greatest wisdom of 16 year olds come out on how to escape pursuit, right? I've been driving for six months, trust me, go that way, you know? So this guy follows us for a little while. We, I thank God we didn't die because we're flying. And, um, the, uh, and then he leaves because he's like, has our license plate. I don't know what getting away looked like even at that point. Um, and so the driver says, let's go back and the, let's apologize because maybe we can, you know, we weren't really sorry. We just didn't want the trouble to get any worse, right? I mean, that's a big distinction. Um, 
So we are pulling back into the neighborhood. We're coming up over this hill. Like I can see the front yard and cops pulling behind us. And, uh, which is a great feeling, seeing blue lights flash around the inside of your car. And um, I'm like, oh gosh, no. So about two minutes later, I think every person who lives in this neighborhood is on the sidewalk, and if they had tomatoes, they would have been throwing them at us. I mean, it was like we were the ultimate in villains, and they caught us, right? And um, the, because when I was 16, another friend of mine was 16, they called our parents to come pick us up. Another friend of ours was 17, so they wouldn't call his parents, but they weren't going to offer him a ride. And then the 18-year-old, they were taken. He was driving, too. So um, my parents pull up, and uh, my mom and dad are both there. And I'm like, huh, you know, just disappointed in myself, mainly because I disappointed them, or maybe because I got busted. At the time, it's hard, to, <laughs> it's hard to really be clear about my motivations. I can just now look on it as an adult. But... Um, but the 17-year-old is bawling. He's like just wailing, crying, right? I think he just doesn't know what's going to happen because they're just like, we're not calling your parents. We're not taking you to jail. Good luck, you know? And so he's, he's really upset. My mom doesn't know him real well, but knows him pretty well. Um, if she knew him real well, we probably wouldn't have been there together. Um, and she walks up to him. <laughs> In front of, that was subtle, you had to be paying attention for that last lecture. The, um, so all these people are on the sidewalk, right? And they're, you know, they're, I mean, they're literally like yelling things at us. I don't even hear half of it. My mom walks up to this kid who's crying and puts her arm around him, you know? Says, come on, it's okay. And one of the parents says, oh yeah, just make it, make it all all right. Like he didn't do anything wrong. And my mom looks at them and says, when your kids grow up and they don't make any mistakes, you call me. And I remember this feeling inside of me, I was like... That's right, mom. <laughs> you tell him. But you know that look mom can give you? Like, that wasn't for you, sucker. I'm going to kick you in the throat. That was, that was the look I got right when I started being like, that's right. You know? I mean, she just had this way of looking at you. And, and it's funny because when I look back through that, you know, the hardest part about that was that I you know, disappointed them and just caused them pain. Even though, uh, like, years later, my dad said, I'm so thankful for that moment, which is a whole other story, but he was just saying, you mean, it could have been way worse, but you had to sit in the back of that police car, and I know that that did something to you. It made you go, whew, you're too tall to sit in the back of a police car. Don't do this again, because <laughs> there's not leg room back there. And um, it did teach me a lot, but, I mean, I, I mean, there's a million other stories, but just where I didn't appreciate them at the time and just in, the, in that attitude had just caused them pain, you know? And Absolutely. And, and you know what I think? I think, I think watching this from my, a parental standpoint, I think my boys, they're like, something's crazy here uh, when they do something wrong and they know I get ticked at them. But there is a whole different feeling in watching my boys when they know they've broken their mama's heart. Y'all ever noticed that? And, and, and the same thing happened with me repeatedly. I didn't want the old man mad. I mean, my dad did drywall for a living. He's about five, eight and a half, five, nine, 250 pounds, big old huge neck, shoulders. And he, he loved to fight. He used to fight all the time. I'm talking about fight people his age on the softball field. I, I really didn't want to make him too mad. I didn't want to make him too mad, but it broke my heart when I crushed mom. So, so I'm a freshman in college, Nick. I turned 18 in my freshman year in December. And I didn't go to school early because I was smart. I, I went to school early because they started me early. And so I happened to be a freshman in college. You could drink back then when you were 18. 
I guess you could drink back then when you were 14 if you wanted to, but as long as you didn't get a call. But I'm a freshman in college, and we had this party one night, our baseball team. And I did this really uh, wise thing that night. I mean, it was one of those really strong, calculated moves that we all kind of got halfway hammered, and a couple of us decided we were going to shave our heads. And so, for some odd reason, they decided never to shave. grew back. <laughs> I had hair. It was all the same color. It looked great. I even had a perm in high school because I was the only white dude on the basketball team. But anyway, a whole different story. So anyway, they shaved this arrow in my head. And so my, it really did. It came out and it went to a point and I was like, oh, dude, that's cool. So on Friday we had practice and then after practice was over with, we had Saturday and Sunday off and I went to a JUCO over in DeKalb County and so I went home and when I got home, my mom met me at the door and she started bawling her eyes out and she goes, I cannot believe you would do that. I'm like, oh, mom's hurt. Oh, man, she's going to be really ticked at me. Well, her dad was in hospice and was dying, and she was basically crying, saying, my dad could die at any moment now, and you're going to show up looking like that? And then she says this to me. She goes, I know you ain't got anything in your head, but at least you could have left it covered up. So, so, Nick, we've got a lot of stories. I mean, mom's sitting on the porch with me until three in the morning because, again, I was lost. I was foolish. I did a lot of stupid things. Your mom did the same thing. But here's what we know. Here's what we know. Sometimes the people that we love the most, we can hurt the deepest with our irresponsible behavior and actions. And a lot of times we inflict pain and suffering. We talk about collateral damage being caused we can actually hurt other people with some of our stupidity. We've been hurt at times, but I'm talking about lifting the mirror and looking and saying, what have I done to hurt other people? That's a large part of where we're at today. Yeah, and I think some of the reason why we can hurt people who are so close to us might be because we have an expectation that they're on our team. And then when <laughs> we get hurt, we, we go, wait a second. I thought we were cool, you know? We're supposed to do this together. A guy honks at me or shows me I'm number one on the road. I don't think about that very long, right? Because I don't even know who he is. But if it's somebody who we're supposed to be close to, right? I mean, that, that's where things really hurt the deepest, right? So today we're kind of flipping this question we've been asking. So why does God allow suffering? We're going to flip a little bit and say, why does God allow me to cause suffering? Mm. So ponder that for just a moment. Why does God allow me to cause suffering unintentionally or intentionally? Um, and then we're going to talk about kind of how we make amends and how we move forward um, in our relationship with God and with others. So we're going to ask a couple of key questions to you right now as we kind of get going. Um, how do I forgive myself when, when I've caused suffering, when, uh, when I have been the one to blame? And some of us, I think we need to realize that we need to forgive ourselves because um, that's a huge problem part of this is understanding that in your own forgiveness to say like, I did screw it up, I can move forward, okay? And then how do I move past my failure? How do I not just forgive myself, but move on beyond it, right? Because we have all hurt people. And as you'll see as we walk through some of this, um, getting right with the people around you is vitally important in the eyes of God. And as you are... um, functioning in this world and as part of the kingdom and being Jesus wherever you go, we must move beyond 
the suffering that we have caused. And, and you know what we've concluded? Like when you look at the world in which we live in, there, there's a lot of people that just don't own their stuff. And what we believe is apologizing, confession, and repentance is one of the strongest witnesses that we have to the world in which we live. Because it says that we don't belong just here. We're under uh, supernatural authority from God. And so when we do blow it, it didn't say if you do, it's when you do. We're all, we're all going to mess things up at times. How do I move through that? And so this whole thing of confession, uh, confession and repentance and apologizing can be a huge witness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and really, as, as you're looking at that, the first thing you must do is own the fact that you have caused suffering. And um, I have said, I even put it in a song I wrote at one time, but it wasn't a very good one, so you haven't heard it. Um, <laughs> that um, I lie to no one as easily as I lie to myself. And we do that out of self-protection, right? Or even, I have to live with myself and my own thoughts day after day. So if I can fool myself into saying, this wasn't my fault, then maybe it's easier for me to move on, right? But if you can look at the situation honestly, and you can understand that you actually did cause suffering. Like, you know, I could say, I was in the back of that car, that dude was driving, right? Well, you got in, he knew you were up to no good, right? I mean, this is, that's me distancing myself from it instead of owning it. So we need to own our suffering. Um, just kidding. Own the cause that we cause suffering. Sure. Words in the right order. Um, okay, and I need to feel accurately about the pain that I've caused, Okay. I need to understand that uh, the perspective of who I've hurt, really, and that what I've done could have really taken somebody down, because sometimes we don't see things fully until they're addressed. We pass by them, and we leave wreckage behind us without um, thinking through and understanding how things were received and what was the true collateral damage of whatever we've done. Mm-hmm. And, and I, think, I think that is huge, vertically with God, horizontally, do I really own it? Yeah, I, I messed that up. And then do I feel the weight of the pain of what I've created that is hurting other people around me, no matter what the behavior? Here, here's the thing, and then we're going to roll into kind of uh, breaking down even deeper thought out of Psalm 51. But I must reach that place where I commit to resolve in my heart, that I'm seeking shalom with other people. And we defined shalom a few weeks back as oneness and unity and wholeness uh, with God, with ourselves, with our neighbor, and with creation. So when we mess it up, it's like I want to get back to this place in my journey where shalom is a reality with God itself. Love your neighbor as you do yourself. I've got to be able to say, are you willing to forgive and love you again? Same thing with others. And then with creation or whatever. So uh, Romans chapter 12 here, great verse. Romans 12 says this, if possible, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If possible. If you can still go back and, and maybe try to correct a relationship, clean up something that's gone wrong. If possible, as far as it depends on you. Now you can't own the other person's response. If you get codependent upon their response or how they respond, then it can muddy the waters and you'll lose the process yourself of honoring God. But as far as it depends on you, you pursue shalom and peace with all men. So that is a responsibility that we have as followers of Christ 
to, to really seek this uh, shalom with other people. If possible is very two, is two important words there. This says, you're giving it effort. How they receive it is not up to you, right? Because we can't control that. I mean, I was thinking through the, this situation I had with a former coworker where we were in a meeting and um, she started attacking me. Um, and I, my mom told me, she said, you're a big guy. When you get mad, do not stand up unless you're like, I want to fight because people will take that as intimidating. I did not remember that in this meeting. And she was, <laughs> she was attacking me. And this is like, she's 50 years older than me, right? I'm 25 or something. And I, and I stood up and I just started yelling at her because I, I was, it was, seemed way out of character for me, but it was just like she came out of me, at me from nowhere. So I left there and I felt horrible about it. I spent the night thinking, God, you got to make that right. And so... The next morning I went to go find her and I had this image in my mind that I was going to come up and I was going to apologize. She was going to apologize. We we're going to go high five and go to soda pop or something. I don't know. And so I saw her in the hall. I said, hey, I'm so sorry. I totally handled that wrong. And it was, we were fired up or whatever. And she said, um, yeah, and you got really loud. And she walked away. <laughs> okay. But you know what? It actually, it, it brought me back right. I, I turned away from that and laughed. Because the Lord was working on me through all of that and said, like, it's okay. She doesn't accept this. But I need you to go make it right. And so those if possibles are important, right? You can't uh, control how people are going to react to your apology. And uh, in Matthew 5, I got to read this so I don't screw it up. Matthew 5 says, Look, it's on that screen back there. Oh, there you go. Um, (laughs) If I'm not used to being up here reading. um, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, this is Jesus speaking, and there, and there, remember your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering, okay? Oh, why don't we do this, right? Imagine coming in and like you begin to worship, right? You bring your offering of worship or finances, or you come to serve, and you walk in, and you're like, oh man, you know what? I need to go make this right. And you're like, Tim, I can't greet today. I have to go, you know. I mean, this is, it's so simple, but yet very difficult to go confront your own mistakes, right? And that, but a beautiful thing in creating and pursuing shalom in this world. Absolutely. So, so here's what I would say. Two things have been established with clarity, Okay. Number one, Nick is a vandal and he is mean to old people, right? <laughs> I have nothing Perception in my head. <laughs> I should leave it covered up. So I'm, I'm, I may get a hair trap. No, but, but here's, here's what's so crucial is that uh, God is a God of relationships. The word relationship means to connect in meaning or in thought. So as Nick was breaking this down of Matthew 5, anything that hinders us vertically, clean it up. Anything going on horizontally that can mess up our walk has got to be dealt with before God. Because if there's junk here, it's going to hinder the relationship with Christ as well. And I think a lot of times we think, well, we can sing and we can do whatever we want to do. And we've, we've got all this damage and, and chaos around us. And God goes, stop it. Relationships are so crucial. You're walking dirty here. You can't worship holy here. And I think one of the things is taking God seriously to say, man, I want to be pure before the Lord, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting to, to tie these things together because I think, at least culturally, we don't. We don't think that our relationship with God has, there's this certain hinging that happens with the people around us. But if God says, hey, be my ambassador in this world, of course it does. Right? If you're going to say, I'm gonna, I want you to walk around and be Jesus and love people as Jesus does. And uh, I mean, I trust you to represent me. Then it absolutely matters on where you stand with the people around you. Right? Not how they react, but how you treat those relationships. Absolutely. Okay. And, and I think this is so important as we move forward. Because again, we, we jack something up, we mess something up, or we've been sinned against. God still wants us to walk in holiness and purity with him. Now, Psalm 51, it should be in your bulletin, and I want you to look at this. But Psalm 51 is such a powerful, powerful uh, narrative, if you will. David writes this psalm in brokenness with humility, with incredible repentance going on in his life. Uh, I would highly encourage you to, to get totally familiar with Psalm 51. Uh, to me, it's one of the most brilliant pieces of scripture that we find in the entire Bible. But he is uh, taken Bathsheba. He's laid with Bathsheba. She has become pregnant. Uh, all of a sudden, he's now trying to cover his junk. And so instead of confessing it immediately, he suppresses it and is like, I got to cover. He sends word out to Joab to, to say, hey, put Uriah out there on the front of the battle and kill him. And he thinks, hey, once that dude's dead, I'll, I'll look innocent, I'll be all right. And then he's confronted by Nathan the prophet saying, man, you have royally jacked this thing up. And so then David writes Psalm 51 out of being confronted, out of brokenness, out of repentance. One of the missing words in evangelical communities today is repentance and being able to just unplug from the less wild lovers. Another thing, you, you, you don't see a lot of people talking about sin, repentance, confession, and that's what this psalm is flooded with, and it is absolutely key as we move in our walk with Christ. Absolutely. So, we, we really looked at this to say, how do I get move past my failures? And if we follow David's example in this, I mean, I think every one of us can identify um, with at least this part of David's story, that he screws something up, tries to cover it, and it gets worse. And then he tries to cover it, and it gets worse. And you find yourself down in this thing where you're like, why didn't I just make it right in the beginning? Yeah. Right? Well, if we say step one in getting, moving on past our failures is coming clean with God. Right? First and foremost, in Psalm 51, it says, Oh God, you are the one I violated. And you've seen it all, the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you, right? He knows it all. And sometimes we just feel like we need to hide some of that, right? Even knowing it all. And maybe you ask, if he knows it all, why do I have to say it? There's this piece of knowing the Father that us saying to him um, relieves us. And that confession to God is what allows us to move on in freedom. And you got to be totally honest. you got to live exposed. We say that all the time inside of discipleship, that you won't get anywhere if you're hiding. You must live exposed and lay your failures out. And so if you're worried about your reputation, then you're valuing that over your freedom and your own oneness with the Father. Hmm. So we must expose those things because the peace you can have and experience is worth it and you can trust that God's outcome ultimately is for your good right and so you, 
the fact is you might go through hardship when you expose failure, right? You might experience judgment. In fact, you will experience judgment, whether it's good or not. But the, either way, the Father asks you to do it because he loves you enough and wants to be close enough to you that you can move on past these things. You know, 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we can have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And, and you know, there's so many scripture. I remember reading Hebrews 4. You know, the word of God is alive and it's quick and sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces and, and it goes on to say that he knows the in- even the intent of our hearts. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro. So here, here's the crazy thing. Like God already knows us. He knows what we're doing, how we're doing it, why we're doing it. And we might be able to lie to others even about the what with a, well, my motive was all right. Anything that hinders and disturbs my walk with God has got to be brought in the light and dealt with. I got to come clean with God. God, here, here's where I'm at. I, I'm not saying it so you'll know. I'm just saying it so I'll let you know that I do know where I'm at right now. I think one of the things that hinders people, well, I, I, I don't really have a problem with this. I don't see anything wrong with this. How is it enhancing your relationship with Christ? How is it building you up into that woman of God or man of God that God wants you to be? And you as You know as well as I do, when we get clean with it, we're able to move to the second thing, Nick, where we take responsibility for our sin. Being specific in confession cannot be emphasized enough. What we do there is we own our part of the failure, the sin, the mistake, whatever is going on. One of the worst things that can happen in trying to clear up just where there's something messed up and jacked up on the horizontal in a relationship is when you come and go, hey man, I'm sorry I hurt you. Well, what does that mean? No, no, I'm sorry, coach, I lied to you. I'm I'm sorry that I took something that was not mine that was yours and I stole it. I'm sorry that when you start to specifically itemize what's going on, then and only then do you have a chance of healing. As long as you can keep everything just kind of vague, you're not going to deal with it. But when, when you confess, homologia is the Greek word, when you say what God says about something and you start to specifically itemize it and own it, I mean, you've got a chance to really move toward healing. David said, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. My sin is before me always. I know my transgression. David uses three different words throughout the Psalms when he talks about this kind of a concept of a wrongdoing. He uses transgression. He uses iniquity. He uses sin. The word transgression means I willfully did it. It's not like I, people say, well, that brother got caught in sin. You don't get caught in it. You walk with your eyes wide open saying, I'm going to do it. And that's the point that David's making. I willfully did it. I saw it for what it was and just said, it's all about me. I'm serving me. And so the word he uses for sin which means uh, to do something wrong that you know is wrong that, that should have been right in God's eyes. God says, do this, and you go, no, I know it's wrong, I'm going to do it. So David uses these two words combined going, transgression and sin, willfully doing what's wrong because I just want to, Nick. And I, and I think it's so huge on this. Uh, he, he, he knew that anything fragmented was absolutely going to keep him in defeat. Absolutely. I mean, we, we say... Um 
you know, f- fragmented disclosure is really a slap in the face, right? Because you can feel like you're doing semi the right thing, right? And this is going to make me feel better because I told you half the story. You don't really need to know all of it, right? But uh, Rick um, was telling us about an incident at their college where somebody was just talking trash about another person in this group. And Kara, his wife, was listening, going, what is happening here? And she said, whoa, 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 what are you doing? No, you don't need to do this. And he was like, oh, you're right, I shouldn't have done that. And he went to apologize to that person and only told them like little chunks of it. And then later, this other people came to Kara and, and he goes, yeah, they came and apologized to me. And she went, really? Oh, he told you about this and she laid it out. And they went, no. So at that point, how meaningful was that apology, mm-hmm. right? And the Lord, especially with God, the Lord knows anyway. But don't fool yourself in thinking fragmented disclosure will help you in any way there, right? He knows anyway, right? But to the people around you, lay it out. Mm-hmm. Get free. Go ahead. All right. Third, we really want to receive God's forgiveness and cleansing, It's interesting to me how many things God offers to us freely. Grace and mercy, salvation, and all these things, and how sometimes we cannot receive it, right? We just go, maybe I'm beyond that. And so receiving forgiveness is such a vital part of moving past your failure. David says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. And once again, using that word transgression, this, I knew this was wrong from the very beginning and I did it anyway. And Lord, I believe you can forgive me. And I know in a room this size that the enemy is using shame in some of you to not allow you, one, to forgive yourself, but accept the forgiveness of the Father. It can be hard. But the Lord offers it to you freely. Mm. So how do, we, how do we move into that forgiveness? Okay? One, understand that you've been cleansed and continually be with the Lord. Right? There was an incident on a stage years ago where I was leading worship. And I clearly felt that God was moving in a direction and I bucked against it. And I felt horrible about that. And the, the reasons don't matter. But I left there and I was incredibly convicted and I prayed that the Lord forgive me. And like three days later, I called a worship leader buddy of mine who um, we constantly are talking and um, working through things. And I said, here's what happened. And I just um, broken up about it and all this stuff. And he said, did you ask the Lord for forgiveness? He said, yes. And he said, then why are you talking to me right now? He said, move on. You are forgiven. It's such a simple thing, right? You are forgiven. Ask for that forgiveness. It's offered to you freely. I know it doesn't seem that easy sometimes to just accept, but by spending time with the Father and saying, thank you, God, for forgiving me, you can experience that forgiveness. So that is essential to moving on in this process. It is absolutely essential. I was counseling with a guy about four years ago up in my office on a Wednesday night. And uh, we had had multiple conversations. And I said, so why are you still so downcast and defeated? I mean, really, you, you live with habitual guilt and shame in your life. You're constantly just living defeated. Why? 
And he said, I still cannot believe that I would have paid for two abortions way back. And I know I killed a couple of babies. I know I financed that. I said, I hear you. And I I know there's pain and shame in that. But do you really believe, 1 John 1, 9, that if you confess your sin, he really is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you? And he said, I feel forgiven. I really believe I'm forgiven. But then I said, but do you feel clean? And he goes, no. And I think there's a lot of people that would say, I know that God has forgiven me, but do you feel clean? That when the Father looks at you, he does not hold your past against you, that he has really taken it as far as the east is from the west. Do you really believe that you're clean in God's eyes? Because if you think, well, he's forgiven me, that's something he did, but, but, but I'm still dirty, then you're going to continue to live a life of defeat with dirt in your life. You will tolerate dirt in your life. You will tolerate sin in your life. But as soon as you say and really believe, that's what God believes about you. You're clean. You, you, though my sins were scarlet, he's made them as white as snow. When God got me to the place of saying, you're clean. All of that lust and language and liquor stuff that I only see you through the blood of Christ now. You're you're clean, Tim. I I really am clean. You need to go back and clean up some of the stuff you've done. You you need to go to people and confess. And and I've done that. God is pointing stuff out. I'm like, I got to go deal with this. But Nick, I'm telling you, that is such a huge thing. Because if you never believe that you're totally clean and you continue to wallow in the filth of it, and you go, I don't know if I'm drenched in love or not. No, you're drenched in his love. That's right. And you are totally clean. But there's also this piece that you must believe that God's grace can start a fresh work in your life. You weren't polished clean and then uh, you were like a vase. And then if you fall and it cracks, you're done. It's over, Right? David, David prays, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Mm. This steadfastness, right? What do you think of when you think about that? You think about this like tenacity and moving forward for the glory of God because that's truly what I want, Father. In Philippians 1, he says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So hold this thought in your mind. You are a work in progress. This is very reassuring to me because when I fall or, or when I'm looking at things the wrong way and I feel like God teaches me a lesson through it and I'm like, why didn't I know that already? I'm in ministry or whatever, you know, you start battling through these thoughts of like, I should have known or whatever because I love you, Lord, or how God says, hey, I'm perfecting you. And until you're standing in front of Jesus, I promise you I'm not done. We're working you through this. And so there's going to be days where i got to polish you up a little bit. And some days it's going to hurt. And other days, I'm going to be, you're going to realize how proud I am of you, of how far you've come. So you are a work in progress. And if that's not reassuring to you, then I'm not speaking eloquently enough. Mm. Be reminded that God is working in you. Mm. And when you fall... His grace is not only big enough to pick you up, but is to 
take you from that point and move you past where you were far before the fall. He wants to raise you up into a man and a woman after the after the Father. He trusts a lot in you. He trusts you to bring his message to the world. And he's not going to leave you alone in all of that. Let him work. Believe his grace is enough. You know, I think that's the most hopeful thing that we can share in this is that he wants to start a fresh work in you. As long as you've got breath, you've got an opportunity to be used by the king. I want to start a fresh work in you. Which kind of leads us to this last point. Allow God to redeem your past failures in such a way that it becomes a worship. You, you want to redeem my past failures as worship. Yeah. So it was spring training of 1988. It's been a while. 1988, I'm in Vero Beach, Florida. I got invited to this Assembly of God church. A guy by the name of Jamie Buckingham was going to be speaking. I was like, that, that, that's cool. I want to hear this guy. I'd heard some things. He had written some books or whatever. But Jamie had messed it up. There had been some immoral stuff in Jamie's life. And Jamie had to step down uh, from ministry for a period of time. But he had gone through a time of real brokenness and repentance. And he had been restored. So Jamie is there sharing his story that night. And I'm like really touched by what this brother is saying because it was like God had started something fresh in him and God was allowing him to redeem his failures as worship to the king. And then Jamie made this statement and I wrote it in my Bible and it stayed with me for the last 30 years. But Jamie said, scars are not a sign of imperfection. They're mere evidence that healing has taken place. And I was like, yes, scars. Every person in this room has scars. Every person in this room has been cut, sliced, and hurt. But here's the good news of the narrative. When I bring them before God as worship, he can take my mess and use me then as a trophy of his grace. Because I've come to realize that God uses those who limp a lot more than he does those who strut. Did you hear me? God gets more glory when we're limping. And he's carrying us. And he's loving on us. And he's whispering in our ear, stay with it. Than he does when we strut as if we've arrived at the top of the mountain and we've done it our own. What does David say in the psalm right here, Nick, where he says, hey God, if, if you will create this new heart in me and restore me, what does he say? Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth so I will declare your praise. Hey God, thank you for doing this work, but, but if you really refresh me, renew me, and restore me, I can promise you that I will take the gospel to the streets. I promise you that I will tell others how good you are. I promise you that I won't keep my mouth shut. And I think one of the greatest things is I look back over, mom sitting there on the front porch, and I was hammered. You're a winner, son. You're not a loser. You're a winner. And I didn't know the Lord. She wasn't walking with Christ. Dad didn't know the Lord. But it was one of those defining moments where I felt like God was saying, I did not make you to lose. I did not make you to wallow in defeat. How is this treating you? 
this 50 cent pitcher beer night that you went out and just absolutely stayed there for four hours. How's that treating you? And I'm like, it's no good. I'm defeated. I'm, I'm beat up. I'm, and we've lived in stable misery. And when I came to faith in Christ, he goes, let me redeem your failures as part of my grace story and narrative. And I think one of the things he uses oftentimes is, hey, your story matters. I promise you God can do something in your life. I've seen him radically transform hundreds upon thousands of lives. Really? Yeah, your story matters. That guilt and shame can, it can be overcome with the power of the gospel. Absolutely. You know, I, um, this is going to sound strange, but I'm sitting here and I was thinking about this cake that Cheryl Trailer makes that it's, it's like a Butterfinger thing. That's right. You make that right, Cheryl? Okay, good. She's nodding. Um, when you have something good, you want to share it, right? So this first day, this cake shows up. They're doing some like women's thing, but an advantage of doing ministry is you eat all the time. And so I'm upstairs and somebody comes in my door and they just stop there and they're like, you have got to come taste this cake. <laughs> come on, and, right? And so it was this, I found this thing that is so good. Let me share it with you. This is the story of your redemption. God redeeming you and redeeming your failures. Don't stand in that goodness and don't go, Look, I need to share this with you. Because your story, although God made you an original, is not totally isolated to you. Other people have dealt in the same things. And the greatest thing you can give them is hope that there's something on the other side. And inside of your own experience, you can say, God can meet you here because he met me and he pulled me through it. So do not keep those stories to yourself. No. I think everything that the Lord has allowed us to go through and the, the work that God has done in our lives. I mean, he taught you so much through the failures of certain things in your life. We didn't stay on the straight and narrow. I'm not telling you, Jesse, you can go out and raise hell and party and come back and God wants to... Re- Don't you do that, boy. I slap you right now. <laughs> no, we don't want our kids to do that. We, we don't want them to repeat some of the blunders and failures of less wild lovers, but we know everybody's going to mess it up. But I think, the, I think the question is, do you really believe that there's a God in heaven who's crazy about you? who can absolutely turn your story from one of misery into one of power for his namesake. My buddy Mark Barth and I, we've been together for, for years in friendship and watching God work in our lives and in our kids' lives. We sit there sometimes and high five of how good and faithful God is with what he's doing in our, in our families and in our world because God's good. And we really believe God is good. God doesn't want you living again in stable misery. He's come that we might have life and have it to the full. He's come that we might experience not only eternity with him, but abundance now. And, and that's, that's kind of the teed up place uh, to me in, in, in closing it here. I mean, how do these people, some, really repent? How do some really respond to the good news of the gospel? What would you say to them? I think the, let me tell you a quick story. So we come out, um, I, I, the next day after be sitting in the back of the cop car, um, my dad says, all right, you're going to have to go get a job to pay these people back, right? 
Um, at 16, there wasn't a lot of options, so I went and get this get a job at um, a movie gallery because at one point you could rent movies from a video <laughs> store on a VHS, which was an archaic thing. And if you didn't rewind, they were really upset. Um, I had to rewind those tapes. So I go to work at this place, right? And um, they instilled this thing in me real fast. They said, hey, you need to walk through here and straighten the shelves, right? You need to make sure that the little box that's filled with foam is right on top of the plastic box and that it looks nice so when people come by, they aren't like, this is a junky store, this is a great store, whatever. So um, I have this weird perfectionistic thing in me where I'm like, okay. And so I do that all the time, right? I'm just walking through. So I work there a couple of years. Um, then they shut down all movie stores or whatever. Seven years later or something, me and Lisa are married. We're walking through a movie store and I'm just straightening shelves. And she's smacking me, saying, you don't work here. And I'm literally just straightening shelves because I had practiced this so much, all of a sudden it was just part of who I had done. I didn't know I was even straightening shelves. I'm like going, maybe I'll watch that, you know? And just making everything straight. Forgiveness is a muscle you must work out. Because the fact is, the quicker we ask for forgiveness, the quicker, quicker we move towards forgiveness, the, the easier things get. But the sooner you get there, um, and the more often you do it, the sooner that becomes your reaction. Mm. The sooner you're walking through and you go, duh, that wasn't right. Chad, I'm sorry, bro. I did not do that right. And please, and disclose and move forward, right? It's a practiced behavior. Just like anything else, just like your quiet time, you want to be close with God, and you complain that you're not close with God, but then you never actually spend any time with God. It's practiced behavior, right? We want to be in the Word. We want to speak with the Father. This forgiveness thing is right inside of that same idea. Mm-hmm. So next time you're in a movie store, I'm just kidding. No. That, was, that was good. So you are a perfectionist, and you are a pleaser. Yeah, it's a but bad you, combination. But you turn that thing vertical, and it's been a beautiful thing to watch. It, it, I mean, it really, it, I mean, it has. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. God loves you. God's offering forgiveness to each and every one of us. You don't have to continue to wallow in guilt and shame. You, you don't have to stay stuck. There's a lot of us in here that have experienced the compassion of Christ. We really believe that not only does he offer forgiveness, but he can clean you. He can take whatever has been the patterns of behavior in your life, and he can clean you. And one of the greatest things you could do is to receive the cleansing power of Christ today. I mean, that's our prayer for you. We want to see you set free. We love you. We believe in you. We believe your story matters. And some of you are still stuck in past failures, and God is going, hey, hey, you just need to trust me. You need to receive me. You need to respond to me. But I want to clean you up starting from the inside out here today. And for a lot of you ladies, the greatest gift that you could give yourself and really receive would be the power of the gospel to cleanse you from whatever you're wallowing in and struggling with and holding on to today. Thank you for joining us for the teaching here at the Cross Loganville. Let me encourage you to access our website, thecrossloganville.org. Tons of information. Uh, We'll answer many of your questions. Maybe you've been pondering what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ or maybe just uh, some other issues you're going through and you're like, uh, I I need to talk to someone. We would love to help you. Contact us via email 
info at thecrossloganville.org or you can call us at 770-554-3322. God bless you. Make it a great day.